Welcome to the Devoted City Church podcast. Our mission is to help people find, trust, and follow Jesus. To learn more about our church, visit devotedcity.com. In today's episode, you'll hear a message from our lead pastor, Donnie Williams, or a member of our teaching team. Thank you for being here at LifePoint today. We are in this series that uh, we're in week 15 of 18 parts where we're looking at Jesus' teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest recorded uh, section in the New Testament that has word for word what Jesus taught at a place in Galilee as people were gathered around, probably thousands of people listening to him teach. And here's what we learned through the Sermon on the Mount. We learn what kingdom living is all about, what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. We also learn what Jesus believes. If you've ever wondered what Jesus believes about something, read Matthew chapters five, six, and seven, and you'll find out what Jesus believes about many different things. So in just a few weeks, we'll be wrapping this up and we will have gone through every word, every teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. So how many of you would like to take your current knowledge and understanding and go back in time and make a decision over again? Yeah, the rest of you, you're in church. You should be telling the truth. Like (laughs) we would all like to do that. And on this day where uh, we're gonna celebrate graduates, if there's a graduate in the room from a high school or college, we're gonna celebrate you at the end of this message. I'm gonna pray for you. Uh, but as I think about that, it made me think about that question. Wow, to go back to that day when you were receiving your degree or your diploma and be able to make some decisions over again. And when I was writing all this down, I just wrote, jotted down a few that I'd like, to make again, and I'm not going to share them with you. It's none of your business, but there are, <laughs> there are qu- decisions I would like to make again, and you probably would too. Here's a question I want you to hold in your mind today as we talk about what Jesus is teaching. Have you ever prayed a prayer that you're glad didn't get answered the way you wanted it answered? Of course, we all have. This next section in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is again bringing up prayer. He's talked about prayer before. He's told us how to pray. He's actually demonstrated what we should pray, what the attitude we should have when we pray. And today we're going to hear him talk about the persistence of prayer and how a persistent prayer can lead to the life that he has for us. So he's going to begin this section talking about prayer and he's going to end it up talking about our eternal uh, destination and how that's all connected to prayer and what he wants for each of us. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 8. Jesus says, if I can find it, here we go. Matthew 7, beginning at verse 8, Jesus says, Uh, Verse seven, Uh, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And you may have not been engaged in any other reading that we've done throughout this series, but when you read that, everybody's probably thinking, now we're getting somewhere, Jesus. Now you're saying something I can relate to. I can ask you for stuff and I can get it. 
that is exactly what I'm looking for. Well, here's a picture of what Jesus is doing. He's, he's saying, uh, those of you who ask, seek, and knock, those are progressive verbs that ask, then seek, then knock. The best way to relate it today, if, if you're a mom or dad of a three-year-old, you get this, uh, and it's, it's like, mom, 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 you know, they can be really persistent in asking for your attention. And maybe they ask with low volume, and then as time goes on, it gets louder and louder and louder. So that's, that's kind of what Jesus is saying, is ask, seek, and knock. He didn't just say ask, he didn't just say seek. He said ask, seek, and knock. And when you do that, you will see results. So he's saying, be persistent and be expectant. That people who are askers, people who are seekers, people who knock, the door is opened and they get answers. So we're promised an answer, not always the answer we want, but we're promised an answer from Jesus. And here's something as we talk about prayer today that if you don't understand this, what I'm about to say, it's going to be very hard to read Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, and feel like you understand what it means. Here's the thing about prayer. Prayer doesn't just change what I get. Prayer changes what I want. And that's what Jesus is getting at. If we got whatever we wanted when we prayed, Jesus would be like a genie, like rub the lamp. Hey, got a question. Need an answer. Rub the lamp again when I need an answer. And Jesus, would, we, we would see him as just popping up and giving us answers anytime we need. So if he was saying, you just pray for something, I'm going to give it to you, uh, he would not be Lord. He would have just been a magic genie. So he's anticipating that people will hear what he says and misunderstand, hey, I can just get anything I want from him. All I got to do is ask. So if I want, if I want uh, money, he'll give me that. If I want uh, perfect health, he'll give me that. If, you can, if you like that teaching, you can find it out there that you just ask and you can get the money and the, te- and the, and the health and you can get the, well, the wealth and the material things. You just ask and he's just gonna shower all that stuff on you simply because you ask. If that's the case, he's not doing a good job at answering prayers anticipating that people would have that question that day, he says this next. Which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? And you might be thinking, what does that mean? Snakes and fish and stone and snakes. What's he talking about? Here's the point he's making. When we ask God for anything, we need to ask with the understanding that he knows best. The same way parents, when our kids are little, we know what's best for them. Now, how many of you got one of your kids at least that they think they know more than you do? Anybody have one of those? I had one of those. They think, well, I know better than him. But we know better than kids. God knows better than us. And so what Jesus, when he's contrasting these two gifts, like when your son asks you for bread that would fill him up, you're not gonna give him something that would not fill him up. When your son asks for fish, 
food for nourishment, you're not going to give him something that's going to harm him. And so what Jesus is saying is, no matter what you ask God for, he's not going to give you things that will harm you the same way you wouldn't intentionally give your children something that's not good for them. If your 10-year-old came in one day and said, Dad, I need to go to the store. Can I have the keys to the car? You're going to say, uh, no, that's a really bad idea. I'll take you. You can ride in the passenger seat, but you can't drive the car to the store because you're 10 years old and you don't know how to drive. That's not good for you. Even though with all their little heart, they asked. Let's take it deeper. Let's say you have a daughter and she's 12 years old and she comes in and tells you about this cute boy and, and he's 16 and he wants to take her on a date. I hope your answer is uh, no, like <laughs> that ain't going to happen. Why? Because that's too young and it's just not good at that age with that big of a gap at that time in life to be even considering things like that. So mom and dad, in case you need an answer, if you need some help, the answer is what? No, you cannot. And it's not that parents don't want you to experience new things or have relationships, but parents want what's best for their kids. And Jesus is using this parallel saying, look, you're, you're, you guys are evil at heart and you're still gonna give your kids what they need, not what they want. So how much more will your father in heaven, no matter what you ask for, give you what you need? So here's what Jesus is not teaching us how to pray to him for everything we want. He's teaching us how to pray to him for everything that we need. And there's a big difference. The most persistent prayer we can pray is to ask God to give us his perspective on things. And I'm convinced if we could see things from God's perspective, it would change what we ask for. Just like if there was a way that you could flip a switch and your kid could see things from your perspective. And I'm sure, I haven't experienced this yet, but I'm sure when your kids grow up and they have kids and then those kids start growing up, uh, they better be calling you and saying, I know how it was now, mom, dad, I understand. Any grandparents have that happen? Like your kids are like, okay, I get what mom and dad were trying to say. It changes their perspective. So the the most important prayer we can pray sometimes is, God, give me your perspective on whatever it is I'm struggling with or asking for. Here's the most courageous prayer you can pray. You want to write this down? You can probably memorize it. It's, it's really easy to memorize. God, give me what's best for me. That is a courageous prayer. Because what's best for you may not be what you want, but it's what God knows you need. And so God, give me what's best for me. When you pray like that, you're praying in a way that changes what you want, not in a way so God will give you what you want. The right kind of prayer changes what you want, not gives you what you want. And then now Jesus moves to a verse that is connected to prayer. It's connected to the, the next few things he's going to say in verse 12. And even if you've never read the Bible, you've probably heard this verse in some form. So in everything you do, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Well, why would he throw that in in the middle of prayer? Well, he's talking about what God will do for you. He's talking about when you ask, seek, and knock. 
that God's going to give you what you need. And Jesus just gave them some knowledge they needed. Because they lived in a world where people were against followers of God, where culture had gone completely crazy, not that different than today, different issues, still crazy. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Jesus is making a point. See, this, you probably know this as the golden rule. Anybody ever heard it? The golden rule, treat other people the way you want to be treated. This was not an original thought to Jesus. This, this was a Jewish teaching, similarly, that they would have heard growing up. Part of the reason Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount is to say, you're following me because I'm a rabbi and I'm teaching and I'm healing, but let me explain what it means to follow me. Let me explain what I believe. Let me explain what kingdom living looks like. And so when it comes to this golden rule, they would have grown up hearing it differently, the people that heard this that day 2,000 years ago. Because the way the rabbis would have said it Jesus changed it a little bit to bring more meaning to it. Here's what the rabbis would have taught these people listening that day. What is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. All the rest is commentary. Go and learn it. But Jesus changes it. Do you see how that's in the negative? And what Jesus said is in the positive. What Jesus said is much broader the first one comes from a place of obligation. The next one, when Jesus rephrases it, it comes from a place of love. The first one's a concept. When Jesus said it, it's an action. See, in the kingdom of God, and if you're following Jesus, you don't just avoid what's evil, you do what's good. And so what he's saying is, Actively do for others the things you want done for you. So be active in doing for others what you want done to you. How would our world look if we all practiced that? Now, it doesn't mean you don't stand up for what's true. It doesn't mean you don't call out sin. It doesn't mean you don't confront. But what would it be like if we actually thought, I want to treat them the way I would like to be treated. And then he closes out this section with two of the most uh, convicting verses in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Here's how I used to think about this. Before I knew Christ, I would, I would, I read my Bible because I was trying to get to know him and I would say that it sounds like the narrow gate is boring. It sounds like it's, it's, uh, smells like an old church building or something. Like that's what I, that's the images that would come up in my mind. The narrow gate means you don't have fun. Uh, the narrow gate means uh, that you just gotta, you, you, you can't smile like that because people that I perceive being on the narrow way uh, they weren't very fun to be around. And so I thought, well, gosh, I guess if I choose that way, life's kind of over. But that's not what Jesus is teaching at all. He's not teaching that, hey, the, the broad gate is where the fun is. The narrow gate is where it's not going to be fun anymore. If we understand his perspective, 
that we're praying for, that we're seeking, we will see that the narrow gate leads to a full life like nothing else can provide. So he he gives them two gates. There's a wide one, and here's some of the characteristics of the wide gate. More people are going to be there than at the other gate. More people are going to be moving in that direction. And the people at the wide gate that have entered through the wide gate of life, their pathway leads to destruction no matter how much fun it looks like they're having right now. It, it has destruction in its future. Picture like, you know, like one of those megaphones a cheerleader would, would yell through and the wide, turn it around and there's a wide gate, but it actually leads to this very narrow pathway of destruction. Feels wide at the beginning, but as it goes, it's gonna be very narrow. The other side, the narrow gate, it might feel narrow, but as you enter it, you're opened up to life like you never thought was possible. You're opened up to this beauty of eternity and living life now and in eternity in a way you never thought was possible. And he describes the, the, the narrow gate. He said, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Now, why is that? Because we know that God doesn't want anybody to perish, but he wants everybody to come to repentance. It's because on the wide path, you get to give in to every whim, feeling, evil thought that's within you, and there will be somebody on the wide path going, that is awesome, I'm so happy for you that you get to do whatever feeling that comes inside of you. See, on the wide path, people gravitate towards self and worshiping self. On the wide path, there's a lot of things that are not valued. Life is not valued on the wide path. The way God created us is not valued on the wide path. On the wide path, uh, the needs of children are ignored. On the wide path, the celebration of how God made us is ignored. So do you want to know if you're on the wide path or the narrow path? Just ask this question. How much of my beliefs line up with our culture? And if your beliefs, your follows, your likes, your shares, your conversation, your arguments line up more with culture than they do with the word of God, then you've chosen the wide path. And Jesus said that we know where that goes. It goes to destruction. Anywhere your beliefs line up with culture, you're wrong. Anywhere. If culture's celebrating it, we probably shouldn't. And then he contrasts that with the narrow gate. And he said there's fewer people that are going to enter through the narrow gate because fewer people are going to be asking, seeking, and knocking persistently for God to give them what they need. You know what we need? We need to think less of ourselves and more of him. You know what we need? We need to care for others more than we care for ourselves and having our own needs met. That's the narrow path that Jesus is talking about. And when we enter in through that narrow gate and walk that narrow path, it's a life of freedom that we never thought possible. Because think about somebody you know that's just proudly living on the wide 
path, through the wide gate that Jesus talks about, think about them and their life is anything but filled with freedom, even though they may believe that it is. See, the world hates then. The world hated the narrow way, and Jesus wanted to make it clear, this is the way I'm asking you to walk, the narrow way. The narrow way thinks about the needs of others before self. The narrow way puts the needs of others before self, and the world hates it. That's why few are going to find it. Few find it because it requires self-control instead of doing what you feel. It requires a code of standards based outside of oneself rather than God being based inside of oneself and everybody determining what truth is on their own. The narrow gate requires that we conform to the will of another, which brings more freedom than conforming to our own will ever could. Here's the, here's the beauty of the narrow gate. It's open to everybody. It's inclusive. That one's exclusive. If you don't believe like the, the wide way, you're rejected. If you don't believe, think, talk, and act, and use the same words that they use on the wide path, then you're rejected. But then on the narrow path, Jesus said, who, do I want, who does he want to come to him? Everybody. And then when we come to Jesus, only then do we have the power of his Holy Spirit to change our lives. Not before, but after so if you've held up coming to know Jesus because you think you have to be perfect, talk to me and we'll have a conversation. Because I know a lot of imperfect people that came to Jesus and he walked with them as they dealt with the sin in their life. And they're walking that narrow path and they're feeling more freedom than they've ever felt before. And so no wonder Jesus says in this context of the wide path and the narrow path, Treat other people the way you want to be treated. If we treated people with the patience, with the love and the care and understanding that we want to be treat, approached with and treated with, how many people would say, well, the wide path's not the way to go. I want to be on the pathway that leads to freedom. But what happens is the same thing that happens to me. You look at people on the wide path and you go, you are an idiot. <laughs> Maybe you don't think that. Every Sunday I make this commitment and I fail. I, I, scroll, I scroll through social media before church and I try not to do it. And I'm doing it before I realize it. And I'm getting a bad attitude. I'm wanting to say all this mean stuff to people. I don't, but I want to. And it's in my head. And then I have to come and talk to you about I should treat other people the way I want to be treated. You know what I want? I want someone to be patient with me. I want them to care for me. I want them to say convicting words that will help me change and genuinely care about me. That's what I want. So then that means that's what I should do for other people, even if I think they're an idiot. And you should too. That's what Jesus is saying. It's our job to populate the narrow way. Now Jesus saves them, we don't save anybody, but we're his plan A to help people from the wide way to the narrow way and we're never gonna do it without treating them the way we wanna be treated. Think of the most detestable sinful person right now that you know. Treat them like you would wanna be treated. Say things to them like you would want said to you. That's the challenge. 
That's the challenge Jesus is, is posing to us. The narrow way leads to life. And here's what is required to be on the narrow way. It's persistence, asking, seeking, knocking. That's what he's saying. Loving others. Loving other people, even those who disagree with. Even those who are, seem to be enjoying and proud of their path. Still love them. Now, love, love is not acceptance. Love is speaking words of truth that people need to hear, just like when we pray, God, give me what I need, don't give me what I want. So we have to be diligent and discerning in the way we communicate with anyone that we're trying to share the truth of God with, that we're sharing what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. That is love. Love, which the world does not understand, love is not love. God is love. And it's only love if it is in reflection of who God is. Then it's love. Well, what, is God, when it, what does God do for us with love? He gives us what we need, not what we want. And that's what he's calling us to do for other people. And then to be on the narrow path, it's giving up all to gain all. It's laying down my wants, my desires, no matter what I think they are, it's laying them down and saying, God, you know better. Now it's easy to be pulled off the narrow path. It is because the wide path is loud. You can't scroll through social media without seeing the wide path. And sometimes we read it like, well, the wide path is fun. And the narrow path is boring. The narrow path leads to life, and how could that be boring? The broad one leads to destruction. So when Jesus mentioned the narrow path, he did it so they could see the pathway to freedom and life that he promises all of us. And so there's a group of people, I, I imagine there's some in this room who are graduating today, and we're gonna honor you. And one thing I wanna do for those of you who are graduating, if you're just getting out of high school or uh, just getting out of college, uh, you, the world is different than it was a generation ago. Things are in your face that you have to have an opinion about that have never been in your face before and you were forced to have an opinion and speak about. So I wanna just give you some resources. This is for everybody, especially those of you who are graduating, that will help you as you go on to college or you go into the workforce or wherever you're going next or the, the gap year or whatever it is you're doing, you're gonna need knowledge and resources that are based on God's word from a biblical worldview that helps you deal with all the division and craziness we see in our culture. And so here's just uh, four resources. Uh, there could be so many more I could put up there, but those are four. And just snap a picture of that. Go to those websites. Uh, th this, is, this is not written by God. It's written by people. It's not God's word, but it's about God's word. And these are godly people have a biblical worldview. And all of these have specifically helped me think through things like, well, how do I teach in a culture that's growing more hostile to what we believe? And so I would encourage you to go to each of those websites and, and maybe you have to wrestle with some of the things you see on there, but engage and watch and listen. That first one, I'd recommend going to the YouTube channel that has the same name and watching some of that guy's YouTube material where he takes questions on college campuses around the country. 
and the harsh questions he gets, you'll be impressed with the gentle answers yet full of truth that he gives to kids that are coming with genuine answers or genuine questions wanting answers. So use those resources. Never let them go above the word of God, but use those to help you understand how do I walk in the kingdom of God as a follower of Christ as I move on to this next section of life. And if you're a graduate, if you're graduating high school or college, doesn't matter what your age is, uh, some college grads are, are older than others and that's okay. I want everybody to stand up. I'm gonna put you on the spot if you're graduating now. Is there anybody in here? There's gotta be one grad. If there's not, we're still gonna pray for them. Uh, last service, there were several. Um, next service, I know there's gonna be several. But here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray for those in our church family and those that we know that are graduating high school or college. Tonight, we're celebrating them in our youth group. Our seniors just went through uh, a book all this year that one of our group leaders led them through called uh, Live Your Truth and Other Lies. And they went through that because she was so intentional about saying, I wanna help them understand what truth is and what that means in our world today and how to answer the questions that are gonna be posed to them as they move on beyond high school. So know that we took seriously, we wanna help these high schoolers be equipped to live in our culture and answer the hard questions and also do it in a way that shows love and understanding and patience, the same patience that God has with us. So what I wanna do today as we're wrapping up is recognize those who are graduating and pray for you all. So if you're graduating high school or college, stand up. Come on, just stand up, be proud. All right. All right, y'all keep, don't sit down. Just stay, stay standing where you are. Um, just stay standing. What we're gonna do is pray for you because whether you're just getting out of high school, just getting out of college, or you went back to college and, and you're a few years ahead of these high school students, uh, whatever next step you're going to in the world, uh, there's gonna be a lot of temptation to go on the wide path that's popular and loud. And we wanna pray that you continue to walk the path that leads to life and not destruction. So the rest of us are gonna stand. And if you're comfortable doing this, uh, just put your hands towards them. Let's all stand up together and let's just pray over them. And I will lead us in a prayer. And if you wanna just put your hands out towards, they were sitting all over the place, just one direction and I'll pray. And then we're gonna sing a song together for them. Let's pray. God, thank you for these students. Thank you for, uh, th they are connected to our church, God. And I pray as they enter out into this next part of life, especially those leaving high school, going to a job or college or gap year, whatever they're doing, God, I pray your blessing upon them. I pray an extra measure of discernment. I pray that they would ask, seek, and knock for truth to be in their lives. I pray that you would give them the humility to share that truth with others in a way that they would wanna hear it, just like you said. God, help us to love well. Help them to learn to love people who are far from you and help them take steps closer to you. God, may they feel the power of your Holy Spirit, strengthening them, growing them, and helping them stay on the pathway that leads to everlasting life. And together, we pray this over them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Devoted City Church podcast. If you liked today's episode, rate us and subscribe so others can be encouraged too. 
We invite you to join us on a weekend at one of our locations or online at devotedcity.com.